you today. All right, I like it right here, right here. That's why I need you in the front. Uh, so good to see you this morning, Sturkey Hills, and uh, we are still in the book of Acts. And let me just say, I want to applaud our student ministry. I love our student ministry. I love seeing them in the front. I love seeing, uh, I love knowing that, that Clark had a weekend this weekend where they were talking about things that ain't nobody else is talking about. Okay, they talked about love, sex, and dating, okay? And uh, if you want somebody to speak to you, it's your student pastor and uh, his wife and their leaders. That's, that's who you want your kids to hear from, not some com- confluted message at the school or on television or on the internet. And so I applaud uh, the leadership of our students for being willing to tackle such a sensitive subject, right? Sensitive, that's what it is. It's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, so we're still in the book of Acts, and it's called Can I Get a Witness? And uh, and and last week we saw Paul depart. Paul has been converted from Saul and he's been the one who has been the persecutor of the church and now he has become the persecuted for the church and, and uh, he's on the run. He's developed some enemies, uh, some people who don't like him because he's a defector apparently from the Jewish faith and he's following Jesus and they don't like him so they're trying to kill him. And so he makes his way on a ship back to Tarsus, which is his, his hometown. He got sent home. He got, it seems like he got benched. And, and, and he's going to walk away from Scripture now for a couple of chapters. And when you read it, you say a couple of chapters. Well, that's not very long. But in fact, there's about 10 years that goes by that he's absent. He's in Tarsus, and God is developing him to be the a global expansion missionary that he's going to be. It's a really cool story. So he's going to be developing there for about 10 years, and, and back onto the scene comes this, this, this crazy, uh, important person in the life of the church. His name is Peter. Now, you'll remember the story of Peter. Peter was the guy who was one of the disciples, and he's a mouthy one. He, makes a, he lets his mouth uh, outrun the rest of him sometimes. He says things that, that he can't fulfill. And so ultimately then, Jesus is always kind of reprimanding, reprimanding him. And then, and then ultimately, he's at, the, he's at the, the, the crucifixion or the trial before the crucifixion of Jesus. And he denies Jesus three times after walking with him for three years and seeing his miracles and hearing him speak and being accepted by God through him. He denies him three times. Now, this is the guy that Jesus never wrote off. And so we can identify candidly more with Peter than we can with Paul. Uh, Paul was raised in a, in, in a religious vein. He, he was educated by the, the most knowledgeable religious people in the world, all right? And so he made a transformation. But Peter is the guy like us. It's just, you know, we kind of jump in and out of our faith sometimes. We sometimes say dumb things that God has to work us through and forgive us for. And he's, he continues to be gracious. That's why I like Peter, he, he reminds me that there's room for people like me at the table, that God's kingdom agenda is for people who make mistakes, okay? And that's good news for all of us. And, and so today, today we're going to finish Acts chapter 9. We're not going, it's not a race to finish this book, and we're going to be in it for a while because it's an incredible book about the early first century life of the church, and, and that's who we want to be. That's who we aspire to be is a church that looks a lot like the early church, because it's fresh, it's exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted the church to do, and it's making an impact on the world, and that's what we want to be. And so you're here on a great day because we're going to finish Acts chapter 9, and it's really a little bit obscure. It's just a little strange how this thing changes, and then we read the end of Acts chapter 9. 
And so I want you to know in the back of your life, God, it's called miracles. We're going to devote this Sunday and next Sunday to studying the idea of miracles. And miracles are a great thing. And, 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 and you're here that you're a product of a miracle, maybe. And we're going to talk about how we understand what a true miracle is. And let me tell you what I mean by that. So in between services, I went and iced my knee down where I had my knee replaced. And I'm sitting in my office and I told, I told Robbie or somebody, I said, I think it's going to be a little off today because the parking lot is like sparse. I mean, there's, there's 50 empty spots out there. I'm thinking, not going to be many people here that owe, owe me a little faith. I mean, I know there's going to be a lot of people here because they show up right, you're timely, okay? So I'm sitting in my office, literally, service starts at 1030 I don't know if all of y'all know that, uh, <clears throat> but it does, and it's, it's awesome. The first part is worship, and it's awesome, and so if you missed it, you know, get here a little earlier, and so, so anyway, I'm sitting in my office looking out the window thinking, oh, you know, kind of, it's going to be an off day. From 1025 till 1030, 25 cars drove up the old entrance. I don't know how many came up the new entrance. And so people are parking in the grass down the hill. And if you, if you show up late, I, I know some of y'all think I'm showing up late because I want to let the other people have the good parking spots. It's what Jesus would do, so that's what I'm going to do. Okay. And I applaud that. If you parked in the grass, I applaud you. That is awesome. Okay. Now, why, why do I say that? Because this message about, is about miracles. And, and this church is, is, is the miracle work of God. You see, uh, ten, ten years ago next month, I, I came over here, and we were in the other building. There were about 50 people. You know, right there's one of them, champion. And, uh, and it was beautiful. But the parking lot was just on that end, and we were meeting that building, and there might have been, you know, 40 cars. And today there's probably three, 250 cars or something out there, maybe more right now. And, and, and so it's God's doing a beautiful thing. And, and people say stuff to me all the time. They say, hey, man, I hear, heard about your church, how it's growing. And, and my answer is real, literally always the same. It's, it is God's doing a beautiful thing. I don't want to get in the way. I just want, to, I just, I just want us to, to, to put ourselves in a position where when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, I told Jesus, I'm like, do that here. You know, I want to see that here. And, and so, so we say, okay, is that a miracle? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. You see, in our life, things happen from time to time, and we say it's a miracle. Things happen sometimes that we want a miracle. We pray for a miracle. So where do we land with all that? Well, let's, let's read a little scripture, and this will launch us into the conversation about miracles. So in Acts chapter 9, we're going to finish it up beginning in verse 32. It says, now as Peter was traveling around from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda, which is also called Lod. Now, this is about 20 miles to kind of northwest of Jerusalem. It's over toward the coast. Verse 33, he found there a man named Aeneas who had been confined to a mattress for eight years because he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. And immediately he got up and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. I want to read that again. And they turned to the Lord. Now, so it's just odd. Saul just left. Peter shows back up. And the first thing we read, he, he just walks into this town because he's going from place to place. And he sees this guy who's obviously paralyzed. And we read he's been paralyzed for years. And he just says, hey, Jesus the Christ has healed you. You can get up now. It's just, it's just odd because miracles in the church today, you know, often have some kind of conversation, like a sermon connected to it, and, and maybe even some music. You know, let's, let's, get, let's get it going. You know, let's, let's turn up the music and let's build an emotional environment so a miracle can take place. But that's not the case. There's no teaching moment. 
There's no qualification of Aeneas being a guy who deserved a miracle, no reference to his religious status, no, no, no mention of him being, that he's been praying for a miracle. It's just Peter shows up, there's a crippled guy, and he says, hey, man, Jesus healed you, you can get up now. I mean, it's just odd. But the miracle that he performed is, it's undeniable. It's instantaneous. It's total and complete, and it's public so that people turn to the Lord. It's just odd. And then it's not over, verse 36. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which in translation means Dorcas. And if that was me, I would just tell everybody, Tabitha, there is no translation. Okay. <laughs> she was continually doing good deeds and acts of charity. Now, this got a qualifier. This is, this is a good woman. And it says, and at that time she became sick and died. And when they washed her body, they placed it in an upstairs room. I'm reading it. Of course, my mind process is different. And I'm like, you got a woman who died. And you're going, you're going to wash her and get her ready for burial. Why are you going to pick her up and take her upstairs? Have you ever, have you ever picked up a dead body? It's heavy. They don't help. And I'm like, okay. So, so as a, they just throw this in. As a matter of fact, in case you're wondering, we got a dead woman in the house. We, we bathed her. She's upstairs. So now he says, uh, because Lydda was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him and urged him, come out to us without delay. So Peter got up and he went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him crying and showing him the tunics and the other clothing that Dorcas used to make while she was with him. But Peter sent them all outside. He knelt down, he prayed, and turning to this body, he said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and helped her get up. Then he called the saints and the widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. I'm going to read that again. And many believed in the Lord. So Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a man named Simon, a tanner. So, so, so once again, we, we have this um, miracle encounter where there's no preaching, there's no, you know, there's no building of the faith, there's no instruction to this dead person or to this crippled person that this is how you have faith and this is who God is and, 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 and there's nothing. There's no worship music. There's no laying on of hands. In either case, they don't touch them. They don't have holy, uh, holy halitosis. They breathe on them and hell, they get it. There's nothing like what we see a lot of times on television or we hear about. It is as simple as the man of God shows up filled with the spirit of God and the power of God and he speaks into situations and great miracles happen immediately and complete. And so when we read stories like this, that Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in this book, that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, you, you, you got to get to a place where you ask some questions, you know, about, about miracles. It leaves us kind of on a cliffhanger, like, we're, we can do that? I mean, that really happened? And, 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 and could it happen in my life? Now, when we read about miracles in the Bible, if you're like me, you get to a place where you wonder about them and, and you want miracles to happen and you think, and I want you to consider these questions. Have you ever thought, does God still perform miracles like that for people today? Can anyone participate in a miracle? Can, uh, should I believe that miracles are available to me like on demand, like some people say, and, and like when we read in the New Testament and the Old Testament? 
Should I hope for and plan for and expect a miracle in my life as a Christian? Would God do miracles for me? And if so, what do I need to do to posture myself? And, and, and what do I need to do to, to, to receive a miracle from God? Uh, how do I even begin to ask for a miracle? And, and, and how can I have enough faith? So if, my, if it's dependent on my faith, how do I know if I have the right kind of faith? And if I pray for a miracle and it doesn't happen, what is my response? How, how do I navigate through that when a friend of mine said they prayed for a miracle and a miracle happened? And I prayed for a miracle by name and it didn't happen. So is it, is it me? Does God not like me? Is he angry at me? Is there sin in my life? Or is that person doing something different than I do? And then at the end of the day, how do I know if something's really a miracle? Now, if you've ever wondered any of those questions or a question like that, would you raise your hand? Yeah, I hope you have. I hope you have. Why? Because the same God who performed miracles throughout these 66 books is in fact the same God today, okay? And, and that same God is a supernatural God, meaning we live in a natural world. It's a physical material world and God is outside of that. He transcends all of that. The physical, the material, he transcends time. So, so a thousand years ago and a thousand years in the future from now and from God's vantage point, it's all happening in the same millisecond, okay? So that, that's who we're talking about. So if God did it, then he can still do it. And, and as his children, if you're born again, you are adopted into his family. You are a child of the most high God. And if he's your father, I mean, I have two daughters. I raised two daughters. I have grandchildren. We like doing great things for people that we love. And he's still that God. And so let me answer the, let me give you the short answer to the quiz. Yes, God still performs miracles. And yes, God can and often does perform miracles in our life. Okay, so that's the short answer. But there's more to it than that. As we begin to, as we begin to consider and process the idea of miracles, I want you to understand something. What matters most in your life regarding this book? Are you ready? What matters most in your life? It's the same for every life from this book is what happens to Jesus in your life. If Jesus comes into your life and you're born again, you're saved, you, are, you, you have been adopted into God's family, okay, that's, that's what matters, and that is a miracle. The fact that the God of the universe who is holy, righteous, and perfect would allow somebody like me to spend eternity in heaven with him and that he would walk with me every day of my life from the moment I'm saved, that is a miracle. I am a walking miracle. And if you're saved, you are too. And so there's already a miracle at work in your life. And if you never receive another miracle, if you never experience another supernatural occurrence in your life, it's okay. Because it's not salvific, meaning it doesn't affect your salvation. Other than the miracle of being born again, adopted into God's family, no other miracle is required for you to spend eternity with God in heaven. And that's good news. But there are times when we need a miracle. And so when we consider the true meaning of a miracle it, and we look around, it's like, we, we, we sure do throw that word around loosely. Yeah, you know, I joke about it with the word love. You know, in the Greek, there's three or four words defining specifically what kind of love we're talking about. And in English language, there's one word for love. And so I joke about it. You know, I love hot dogs at the get and go. I also love hot dogs down here that Brittany Hill's store makes at the foot of the hill. Okay. And then I'll tell my wife, I love you just like she's a hot dog. I mean, is that as good as I can get? I mean, I could say, I really love you. That means I love you a little bit more than a hot dog. It's the same word, you see. 
And, and when we think about miracles, we do the same thing. We, we, we throw this thing around like, it, like it, all things that are a little bit out of the ordinary become miracles. Let me give you a few examples. I had a financial need and a miracle money showed up delivered by a miracle mailman in my mailbox. It was a miracle. We do that. Or, or we say something like, you know what, I, I had to go to the Walmart this morning before church and I was in a hurry and there was an empty spot right in the front. It's a miracle, right? Or, or we say someone is on our mind and we look down and, and they're texting us and we're like, wow, they texted me while I was, it's a miracle. And, and so we all like miracles. We like the thought of miracles. If you like the thought of miracles, say amen. amen. If you realize that there, at some point in your life, if not already, you, you would like to have God perform a miracle in your life, say amen. It's okay that we should be that way. Okay, but sometimes we reach a little too far and we throw the word around. Here's a few examples. We have movies like Miracle on 34th Street. We have songs like All I Need is a Miracle by Mike and the Mechanics. And if you're old, you know that one, okay? And if you're old, you'd know this song by the great theologian band called Hot Chocolate, which is, I believe in miracles, you sexy thing, you, okay? So we throw this word around, right? We all like miracles. We talk about miracles. We have cleaning products called miracle wipes. We have fertilizer called what? Miracle grow. We have sandwich spread called miracle whip. Okay, if you're putting it on a bologna sandwich, it's probably not a miracle. It's a bologna sandwich, okay? But we use the same word, right? And so we, we develop this, these doctrines or these ideas about really important things in our life that, that get a little diluted and they get a little um, just confused. There's books on Amazon books just flooded about Hindu miracles, Buddhist miracles, Christian science miracles, satanic miracles, and a whole lot on Christian miracles. So I just looked and, and the first one that came up on Amazon books was a book called Releasing Miracles, How to Walk in the Supernatural Power of God by Kenan Bridges. And so I copied an excerpt from the foreword of the first chapter. I don't remember. This is what, this is what he says. You have the divine right to operate in the miraculous. Why? Because miracles are deliberate, redeeming, life-changing display, a displays of God's love in action. You need a biblical foundation for living out the miraculous every day, but also how to sustain a supernatural lifestyle through faith and compassion and humility and worship. Miracles are your spiritual inheritance, and the Holy Spirit is waiting to partner with you. Okay, there's a Greek word for that. It's called hogwash, okay? That's not accurate. That's that pop psychology that suggests if you've got enough mustard seed faith in your life and you can claim it accurately enough and completely enough that, that God will answer your every prayer for a miracle. And that's not true. Now, I said before, you are a walking miracle if you're saved, but he doesn't owe you anything else. He didn't owe you that. You couldn't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't merit it. So people just search for miracles. So I did a little research. I'm going to share with you three newspaper articles that if I just read them, you'd think he just made that up. 
okay? This, these are actual newspaper articles. Here it says, here it is. August 1986, Fostoria, Ohio. An image of Jesus miraculously seemed to emerge in the night lights in the rust marks on the surface of a metal soybean oil tank. Thousands of t-shirts and coffee mugs were sold saying, I saw the vision. Until one day the rust spread further and the miraculous image of Jesus just oxidized into oblivion. We're looking for a miracle. Here's one. Maria Morales Rubio. She's a lady who... Uh, immigrated from Mexico to New Mexico. It says, Maria Morales Rubio was frying tortillas in her kitchen for her husband and children in October of 1977. I'm already liking the story because tortillas are involved. It says, she noticed one of the tortillas had an unusual image etched in the burn marks. She concluded that it was Jesus. She contacted the priest from the local Catholic church to come and bless it and confirm that it was the face of Jesus. Afterwards, a small shrine called Jesus of the Holy Tortilla was erected. I ain't making it up. Erected to honor and to protect the Jesus Tortilla. Thousands of people came to see Jesus on the tortilla, which was about the size of a quarter. And some came just as a sightseer, but others came to receive a miracle in the presence of Jesus on the tortilla. Mar Maria Rubio said, I'm not sure why God chose me, but he has come into my life through the miracle of a tortilla. She would later make an appearance on Phil Donahue, the Phil Donahue show, while her daughter would appear on the Oprah Winfrey show, Miracles Edition. We're looking for a miracle. This is my favorite. Arlene Gardner, this is right here in our home state of Tennessee, Vestal Springs, Tennessee, noticed the image of Jesus miraculously appearing on the surface of her freezer when the neighbors turned on their porch light. She began to tell others that Jesus was appearing on her freezer at night, so many people came to see him. Several of those who came said it looked more like Willie Nelson. The local pastor expressed skepticism and moved the neighbor's porch light and Jesus mysteriously went away and the family quit the local church. That's the world we live in, okay? I mean, I, I, there's no real images of Jesus, but I venture to say Willie Nelson would not be our best comparison, all right? So, so let me explain something. There's, there's two, groups, two primary groups of people in, our, in the world, there are supernaturalists and there's naturalists. If you're, if you're a Christian, you believe in God, you are a, a supernaturalist. And that means you believe there's something super outside of this, our, our natural existence. You see that our natural existence is everything is, is, that's physical, it's material. But we believe in someone that's outside of it, right? So we're supernaturalists. Now, if you are a supernaturalist, and as a Christian you are, then you believe there's a God out there that just spoke in ex nihilo, out of nothing at all, everything we know came into existence, right? And so you believe in that kind of God, and he can do that kind of thing. So, so it's not hard. It shouldn't be hard. Church, listen. It should not be hard for you to believe God for a miracle, it shouldn't be hard for you to be okay with praying for a miracle in your life. If that supernatural God is your father in heaven and he has adopted you into the family, then you should believe him for miracles. But we need to have a proper understanding of it. Let me, let me help you with that. And so you're, you may have a, a need for a miracle and it's regarding your health. And you might say, I had a bad report and I need a healing miracle. 
And you might, and you should pray for a healing miracle. But maybe what you need is just to move more and eat less. You know, maybe a miracle is not what you need after all. You'd like a miracle because it kind of short circuits everything. It's like a shortcut to the finished product. Maybe your miracle is an addiction. You you might say, I've been trying to quit drinking. I've been trying to quit taking pills. I've been trying to stop smoking. I've been trying to not overeat. I've been trying to stay off of social media. I've been trying to not look at pornography. And I cannot win I need a miracle. And, and you may need a miracle. You certainly probably need some supernatural assistance. But in reality, you might also need to instill some changes of influences in your life. You may need to change your patterns and, and your circle of friends. And you might not need to add some new levels of protection and accountability in your life. But immediately, we want a miracle because a miracle cuts to the end, right? Yours may be financial, You may say, I have maxed out my credit cards. I'm getting bill collectors uh, information in the mail, and I'm afraid they're going to start showing up at the door to uh, collect money. I need a financial miracle. You might just, and you might, but you might just need a fresh course with Dave Ramsey, okay? There's some things we can do ourselves. A relationship. There may be a lady and she says, she may say, I need a miracle man. I need a man or at least I need a, a fresh miracle renovation of the one I've got. And, and, and I want him to be good looking and I want him to be sensitive to my needs and I want him to remember all occasions with a nice gift. I never want him to question my spending and I want him to clean up after himself to which I would say, you ain't looking for a miracle. You're looking for an alien from another planet. Okay. So, so what we do, we, 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 we package every need we have of any size or proportion and we pr- present it before God and those around us as I need a miracle. Now, a true miracle, a true biblical mir- miracle are miracles, I'm gonna show you in a minute, that were given by God to authenticate something greater. They're, we'll talk about the definition. They were signs pointing to something else. It wasn't just to fulfill a particular need of an individual or a person for the most part. And yet there's other miracles that they are given for a particular people group or an individual. But there's no options here. You, you want to know about a true biblical miracle of biblical proportion? You consider somebody like Moses. Moses is an 80-year-old man. And he's leading the nation of Israel over a million strong out of captivity after 400 years in Egypt. He finds himself looking at the Red Sea in front of him and a million angry Jews behind him. And behind them, a trained army from Egypt getting ready to attack. He needs a miracle. I mean, you, there's, no, there's no other explanation. There's no other way out but for God to perform a miracle. And he does. He creates a strong wind. He blows back the Red Sea. He dries the bottom of the sea. All the uh, Israelis, the Jews, walk across the bottom on dry land. And then he drowns the enemies in the Red Sea. I mean, it's a miracle, right? That's a miracle. And so what we do sometimes, we say, oh, yeah, that's a miracle. God, I'm not really asking for that kind of miracle. I kind of want this other kind of miracle. Just just a little miracle. I just need a little miracle, you know. If If God moves from his supernatural place into the natural realm where you live, there is no no such thing as, I just need a little miracle. It's big. If God does anything in your life, where he moves from his supernatural external state and impacts your life, you can put it down in the category of big miracles, okay? And if it's not a big miracle from God, it's not a miracle at all, okay? I just want you to know that. When God does anything for you, it's a miracle. 
because it's a miracle is when God intervenes and leaves a mark. Now, another example might be you're, you're a disciple, and you're on a mountain, and Jesus has been teaching, preaching, kind of like me and Clark, way too long, and everybody's ready to go eat. You, you, thought, you, you, you thought when you slip out early at this service, you created that. No, it, the disciples went to Jesus and said, hey, they're getting hungry, okay? And Jesus said, well, feed them. I know it's getting late. Feed them. Now, now you messed up because you're the one that told him. You know what he said? Well, go feed them. So here's a disciple standing there with a happy meal he borrowed from a little kid, 15,000 hungry people looking at him. You know what you need? You need a miracle, okay? And so, so we need to understand when we use the word miracle, we're asking for something big. It may not look just like that, but it's a miracle because you're asking God, the God of the universe, to engage and collide with your natural world. That's cool. That's big. You got to know that's big. So, so how do we do that? How, how do we understand more about that? How do we get to a place where we know God's will when it comes to miracles and if it's okay to ask and should we expect miracles? So, so here's what happens. We come to church and in this very room, we've got basically three different views about miracles. You got on one side, on one segment, you've got a view where you are skeptical of almost everything that anybody else calls a miracle. And when unusual things happen, you package it as coincidental or probability and statistics. Skeptical. It doesn't mean you don't believe in a supernatural God. You just are skeptical when somebody says they had a miracle. And on the other side of the equation, you've got people that every day you pray and you claim miracles in your life. You feel like you really hadn't prayed if you hadn't prayed for a miracle, if you hadn't claimed something that God wants for you that hasn't come to fruition yet. And every time anybody says something good happened in their life, you're not afraid to write it in your journal as another miracle, right? And then there's the masses in between those two camps, and we really don't know. We like the thought of miracles, but... I'm not that skeptical, but I'm, I'm not claiming miracles. I, I don't know that I really pray for miracles. I, I'm, I don't really know, okay? So no matter where you are, because at the end of it, what, who's right? The person who's skeptical, the person who calls everything a miracle, or the one who doesn't know? Sometimes all of them are right, and sometimes all of it is wrong. Because sometimes we're not going to know what God is doing. So it's okay to be in the middle and say, I'm praying for a miracle, and he didn't answer my miracle. I don't even know what that means. He, he answered their miracle. I don't know why he didn't answer my miracle prayer. It's okay to be there sometimes. You don't have to know all the answers. But we don't trust, listen to me, we don't trust God more when he does a miracle, and we don't trust God less when he doesn't. That's really powerfully true. I didn't say it in the early service. They need to hear it. <laughs> it, it. We don't trust God more when he performs a miracle in our life, and we don't trust him less when he doesn't. He's still God, and he is trustworthy. And so we got to understand that. So, so, so let's begin by defining what a miracle is. And as I said before with the word love, in the Greek language, there's more than one word for miracles. When you read the New Testament, you'll find three words, three Greek words that mean miracles. The first one is the word dunamis. It's power. We get our word dunamis. We get our word dynamite, okay? Powerful. And by definition, this means something that is, that cannot be explained other than a mighty deed from God. So when you read the New Testament, you'll see this word power, and it's a reference to a mighty deed of God. Another word is simeon, 
which is a sign. And, and this type of miracle is a miracle that is figuratively representative or it serves as a sign pointing to something or someone else. It's a road sign. It's a miracle that says, you see this? I want you to look at that, okay? There's a lot of those. We'll look at them. And then the third type, Greek word, is the word teros, which is the word wonder. It, it indicates something extraordinary and supernatural, okay? And it's the word wonder. You'll read it. Now, what if that's in the, that's biblical, those are biblical definitions. What about in our secular dictionary? Well, a miracle in our dictionary would be this. Number one, a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific law and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Okay, that one makes sense. Number two, a highly improbable or extraordinary event, development or accomplishment that brings very welcome consequences. Number three, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. And so when we think about big things happening in our life, we, we, we often use the word miracle. But the question is, are they all miracles? Okay, let me give you an example. When Kendra and I, uh, we got married in 1985, and she was still in school and college, and she, she, she graduated in 1987, and, and, and so we were going to build a house because we were going to have babies, and she said, I'm, I'm, we're not going to have babies till we have a house. And so she worked as a school teacher. We saved every dollar of her take-home pay. It was about t- a little over $10,000. This was in 19, about 1989, somewhere around in there. So uh, we took that money, and we bought a lot in a subdivision, about an acre, Okay. And I borrowed $60,000 approximately to build a 2,000-square-foot house. Things have changed. Now, I built it myself. I mean, sweat equity. It had sweat all over it and blood and everything else. I mean, it, my, it had my fingerprints all over it. So we lived there for a few years, and God moved in our life and was going to move us to Alabama. It was all part of the journey where he was developing our family, and he gave me a great job, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. So we put our house on the market. It was about, we put it on the market for about $110,000. The same week that we put approximately, that we put our house on the market, we lived in Chattanooga near Sequoia Nuclear Plant. They laid off 800 people. They had all had houses pretty much like ours. And so all of a sudden, the market was flooded with houses. And so six months went by, not one person looked at this beautiful little house that I'd sweated my guts out over. Not one person. Now, I would leave on Monday morning. I would drive to Birmingham. And I would work and I would come, go back and forth. Meanwhile, Kendra had a little, almost a two-year-old and she was pregnant with our second baby. It was a great time. Uh, so she called me on a Monday morning and she said, I had, a car, I had a cell phone. It was mounted in the floor of the car. Okay, I, was, I thought I was the president of the United States. She called me and she said, hey, I'm not gonna worry about it anymore. I said, well, that's awesome. What are you talking about? She said, the house. I said, selling the house. She said, yeah. Now, I'm not a worrier. I'm a typical guy. She's a worrier. She's a typical lady. She was worried. She said, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I said, well, that's awesome. Okay. She called me back a few hours later. She said, hey, the real estate lady called, and somebody, we had a drive-by yesterday, not a shooting, but a looker. Okay. They drove by, and they looked at the house, and they want to come and look at our house. And I said, that's awesome. Those people came and looked at our house put a contract in, put earnest money down. And they said, this was the 1st of November. They said, we've got to have it by Thanksgiving because we've, we've got people coming in to visit. Now, it was a miracle. We walked away from that closing. With, we're, we're in our 20s in late 1980s and we had over $40,000 in our hand, 
Okay, I went and bought a boat. No, I didn't. I, I didn't do that. We put it in another house. But here's the thing. It, you ask me, that's a miracle. That was a miracle. Now, was it a miracle? Remember what we said? A miracle is when an, a supernatural external God steps in and alters the natural world to accomplish something. And so we package everything as a miracle. And I'm going to call it a miracle. It's a good miracle. Man, we loved it. It was a happy little spot in our life. But there's another word I want you to be familiar with. It's called providence. Providence is a lot like a miracle, but it's when God does things because he's already put stuff in place to accomplish great things in the life of his children. Providence, by definition, listen to this, is the protective care of God by spiritual power. It is God's timely preparation and provision for future eventualities. You see, I believe it was providence, but I still call it a miracle. Because God knew that he was going to move us to Birmingham. God knew we had this house. God knew that TVA was going to lay off all those people. God knew that somebody was going to need our house before Thanksgiving. God knew that Kendra was going to worry. And God taught her she doesn't have to worry anymore. And God taught us that he's got us right in the palm of our hands. Here's what providence is. Providence is is something that God has put in place that overrules his natural law. Example, the law of gravity. I can't jump not because I'm white. I can't jump because I'm old, okay? And I got a fake leg over here, okay, or knee, all right? Um, Gravity keeps me on the ground. It's a natural law, right? Entropy, the law of entropy says that everything longs or yearns for disorder. You know it's true. Just look in your garage, your closet, or your sock drawer. It just longs for disorder unless you throw energy at it, right? And so these are laws, but God put those in place. But when he put those in place, he also put this word providence in place where he is sovereignly preparing, sovereignly plotting, if you will, sovereignly providing for your needs in the future based on what he's done in the past. And those providential things that he's put in place, they're already in store. They're tucked away. And one day in your life, you walk through it and providence shows up and we call it a miracle. The difference is providence is already here. Those are miracles performed through providence that are already here. Other miracles, God reaches through time and space and he collides with the natural world and he leaves a mark. The third one I want to talk about is what what the skeptic and what often we say about the things that are strange that happen in our life. We attribute them to coincidence or probability, right? Coincidence or probability. Now, what is that by definition? A probability or coincidence is a remarkable occurrence of events or circumstances without apparent causal connection. It is a correspondence in nature or in time of occurrence. It is the extent to which something is probable, the likelihood of something happening or being the case. An example might be if you take a statistics class, they'll probably begin with a dice. And you roll a dice, what's your probability of getting a one? It's one in six chances. Okay, if you buy a lottery ticket, what's your chances of winning the lottery? None. Okay, I I have zero chance of winning the lottery, not because I'm unlucky, but because I don't buy lottery tickets. I said that about 10 years ago and and, and maybe it's longer than that. It's when our girls were in college. Oh, you don't you don't you don't buy lottery tickets. Oh, So I guess you don't use the uh, the uh, the money from the state to pay for your kids college. I said, I sure do. They said, well, you don't buy any tickets. I said, that don't mean I ain't going to take somebody else's money who buys tickets. I can't help that they buy all them tickets and the state wants to give it to me. I'll take it. 
So then they went on, they said, so what if I win the lottery? Uh, would you think it would be the church would take my money if I tithed on it? I said, I know I would. I'd snatch your arm off at the shoulder. The devil has had that money long enough. We'll put it to work in the kingdom. That's what it's money laundering at its finest. That's what that is. So that's all based on probability and statistics. Uh, and, and so sometimes things happen in our life that are simply that, coincidental or probability and statistics. And it's okay. I ascribe every, I try, let me back up. I try to ascribe everything that happens great in my life, whether strangely, untimely or not. I, I like to package it as a miracle because I know I've got a great God and I don't know whether he's performing a miracle or not, but I'm gonna give him credit for it if it's good. Why? Because the Bible says all things that are good come from the Lord. And so I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give him credit for it. Now, now, where do all these miracles come from? Deriving miracles. Well, as I said before, if you're, if you're a supernaturalist, you don't have any problem believing in miracles because they come from a supernatural God. A God who's capable of doing everything and anything at any time in our life. We have no problem receiving a miracle. We, we, we have no problem recognizing something supernatural as a miracle. We have no problem, or we shouldn't, asking for miracles. They come from God. It is a collision of the natural world and the supernatural world. But I want to issue a warning. Every supernatural occurrence doesn't just come from God. Why? How? Because supernatural occurrences are things that happen in the collision between something that is not physical, material, or natural coming in contact with something that is physical, natural, um, or material, okay? God is not the only one who is outside of the physical, material, and natural. You know that, right? He has a created order that's not physical, material, and natural. Um, the angels are not natural. They're, 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 they're not physical or material, the demons who are fallen angels, they're not natural. Satan himself, he, he's not natural, he's not material. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 6, 12, it's, it's why our life, even after we're saved, we say, why is my life so hard? Paul says, why do I do what I don't wanna do? What I don't wanna do, uh, that's what I do. Because we don't live in just a natural world. We're, we're in, in a battle, in a war. And Ephesians kind of hints to it in 6, 12, it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't just fight natural, physical, uh, materialistic stuff. It says, but we, we battle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, the spiritual non-material world. It's out there, okay? And you can't close your eyes necessarily and see it. And, and, and you can't, you, 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 it's not physical. You can't say, but you can feel the effects of it. It's like Billy Graham said, and like scripture says, you, you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You don't see the non-materialistic world, but you feel the effects of it. You feel it through temptation. When you turn on the news and you see, how can somebody show up at a Super Bowl party and start shooting people? Because there is an evil world out there, and it makes contact with people, and people do evil things. How could in America can we abort a million babies a year? Because there's an evil non-materialistic world out there that convinces people that's the, that's the best answer. Evil, the, the presence of evil points to the reality of a non-material, non-physical uh, 
evil spiritual world. How do we know it's true? Well, when, when you read the book of Exodus, you'll remember Moses has been given these amazing signs and miracles to convince Pharaoh, not really, but to pretend like he's going to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And so he shows up and he's got a stiff and he's got a stiff, he's got a stick and he tells, he tells uh, Moses, God tells Moses, drop your stick in the ground and, uh, and it's going to turn to a snake. And Moses, bam, <laughs> look at that. And meanwhile, Pharaoh's got a couple of guys, magicians, and they throw their snakes down and they, their sticks down and they turn to snakes. So, so they can perform these, these small miracles too, right? Now, the big one is, you know, you read the rest of the story, Moses' snake ate their snakes, you know, so we win. And then, and, and then a little while later, God says, Moses, I want you to stick your staff in the, in the, in the Nile and turn, it'll turn to blood. And he did. And then Pharaoh's magicians, they did the same thing. They, they copycatted the miracles and, and they made it blood, okay? So I want to issue a warning. Sometimes if, we're, if, if we seek a miracle before we seek God, we might find something we're not looking for. I, I want to encourage you with this. When you pray, when you pray and you need a miracle in your life, you seek the heart of God before you seek the hand of God, okay? You seek the heart of God first, and, and then he'll help you discern what miracles he has in store for you and what miracles he wants you to ask for. Jesus said, in the end times, it's going to get worse. Um, I, I, I'm a pre-tribulation believer, and, and I lead the church in that. That means that there's a day coming when God's going to say, Jesus, I want you to go get your church. And it's called, in 1 Thessalonians, it's called the, the, the catching away, the harpazo. And he's going to snatch the church away from this earth. We're going to meet him in the sky, go back to heaven. Ultimately, he'll come back to earth with us, and we'll reign for a 1,000 years. But in between snatching away and the 1,000-year millennial reign on this earth, there's a seven-year period called the great tribulation and jesus said in that seven years he says in matthew 24 24 false messiahs and false prophets will appear and they will perform great signs remember that's a miracle and great wonders that's a type miracle to deceive even if possible the elect who are the elect the jews who are saved during the tribulation period so so we need to develop a biblically accurate view of miracles that way we know how to pray that way we know how to expect. That way we know how not to be disappointed or to respond negatively when God doesn't respond like we think he should. And so why did God choose to provide all the miracles that he did? When we read of the miracles in the Bible, we, it, it's almost like when we read, we, we, we pick those miracles up. It's kind of like somebody can give you 100 compliments and somebody can say one negative thing, and you know which one rings louder? That one negative thing. Well, it's kind of that way when we read the Bible. We read miracles, and, and it's almost like we think miracles happen to everybody. Miracles happen to everybody every day. Miracles happen to people who are just every day, run-of-the-mill, cut-of-the-cloth people like us. The, the Bible is full of miracles. That is so not true. If they were as common as we think they are, they would not be called miracles. They would be called regulars or normals, right? When God causes his supernatural world to collide with the natural world, it's not normal and regular. That's why they don't happen all the time. So let me teach you something. We're going to finish up here in just a second and hold the rest for next week. I, I want to teach you about the miracles. If you read your Bible, you go through and start highlighting if I ask you, how many miracles are there in the Bible? 
I mean, I would think thousands, right? I mean, they're everywhere, right? Depending on how you qualify a miracle, there's about 150 miracles in the Bible. In the whole Bible, 66 books, this whole thing. About 150. And those miracles span over 4,000 years. So it's not happening every day to everybody all the time. About 150 over 4,000 years. But when we dissect that and dive in a little bit, it's even a little bit stranger than that. I want to share something with you. 30% of those miracles were recorded by or performed by or connected to either Moses or Joshua. 30% of them. What about the rest of them? 15% of them were performed by or connected to or recorded by Elijah and Elisha. 25% of them were performed by Jesus in a three-year period. 15% of them were performed over a 50-year period by the apostles. I just shared 85% of the miracles in the Bible and it happened to Joshua, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, uh, Jesus, and the apostles. 85% of them were what we would call the bigs in the Bible. I mean, these are the studs in the Bible, right? These are the ones that God did always. Everything was supernatural. Everything they touched was off the chain. And 85% of the miracles went through them. Well, what about the other 15% of the 150? Did they happen to just everyday normal people like us through their fingertips? The remaining 15% predominantly happened through people like Gideon, Samson, Samuel, Daniel, and Jonah. God's not just running around with half-committed people performing great miracles. God used miracles to authenticate, to authenticate his message to the world, his, his counsel, his word of God. He authenticated the people who gave it to us. 85% of the miracles were used to give authentication to the authors of the Bible. And so 30%, Moses and Joshua, that was God's introduction to mankind. That was the whole Old Covenant, the, old, the Ten Commandments and all of the law, Joshua and Moses predominantly. And then along comes the next 15%, Elijah and Elisha. They introduced the prophetic writing, the Word of God about future events. And then we get up to the New Testament. We get to Jesus in the Gospels. There's another 25% of the, of the miracles. And then the apostles, the rest of the New Testament. I'm telling you, God performs Miracles, And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not saying miracles are for apostles and for prophets and for Jesus and for uh, the men of God of the Old Testament. God is a miracle-performing God, okay? But He is not a God who is obligated to answer every form of miracle that we want to name and claim or blab and grab or, you know, get all shook up about it. And because I did that and got the Holy Ghost and now He owes me a miracle. No, He is a sovereign God. He can do whatever He wants, wants to do. Now, let me tell you what that means for me and what it means for you. Knowing He's that kind of God. And knowing those were supernatural miracles, un, in those of biblical proportion, never, never repeated again. Ain't nobody ever walked on the water since Jesus. Thousands of people have not been uh, fed on the hillside with a sack lunch. 
okay? Seas haven't been parted. There's no, there is no verified reference of a, of a four-man stinky dead man like Lazarus being raised from dead. Doesn't happen. These are biblical proportion miracles, okay? But it doesn't just happen in the Bible. What does that mean for me? T- tomorrow, if I wake up and I've got a headache and it's severe and I go get a brain scan and I've got a tumor in my brain, you know what I'm praying? I'm saying, God, I got mustard seed faith. Your word says if I have the faith the size of a mustard seed, I can cast this mountain into the sea. I'm believing that because that's what it says. I'm quoting your word says by your stripes I am healed. That's spiritual, but I'm claiming it for the claiming it for the physical. God, I'm claiming that you are the capable God, the one who spoke ex nihilo out of nothing and everything we know exists. You can speak into my brain and eradicate that tumor. And if you don't choose to do it that way, God, I'm praying that you send me to the right doctor with the right technology and the right protocol, and you're going to make this tumor go away, God. I'm claiming victory, and I'm going to claim healing. But at the end of the day, God, you know what? You don't have to do a per, a, perform a miracle in my life. If in your sovereign will, in, in, in the fact that the Scripture says that you're working all things together for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose, I'm in that category too. So whatever you choose to do, it's going to be a miracle because you've made a choice. And that's where we have to land. We pray for miracles. We believe in miracles. We know a God who performs miracles. And when God doesn't perform a miracle, we love him all the same. We trust him all the same because the fact that he made a choice over your miracle means he perf- perf- he's performing a miracle that you just can't see yet. We want a miracle to, miracle to look like our miracle. I'm going to close with this. The greatest miracle that's ever been performed, the greatest miracle that has ever been performed is a miracle in my life. It's when as a nine-year-old boy, the God of the universe looked through time and space and saw my little sinful self and he reached through everything, all of the noise and his Holy Spirit invited me to grace and forgiveness and adoption. Why? People can explain away miracles. People can't explain away a life that is changed forever. And the greatest miracle in your life is when you were born again. And if you haven't been born again, the greatest miracle you'll ever, you can ever expect, you could ever receive is when the God of glory calls your name and enters your life and saves you. Those are miracles that change eternity, okay? Lazarus, the unfortunate thing about Lazarus, about Lazarus and Tabitha called Dorcas, Okay, besides the bad name, she had to die again. He had to die again. The miracle of salvation, no more death. No more death. It's, 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 it's completely eradicated. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today, I want you to know you are a walking miracle if you're born again. A walking miracle. You could not save you. You could not forgive you. You could not give yourself life. But the God of miracles chose to reach from heaven and give you that. You're a walking miracle. And if you're here today and you've never entered a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, this could be the day that you could receive your miracle. All you do is say, God, I know I'm a sinner. 
I know I'm separated from you. I don't have a relationship with you. I don't pray to you. I don't read your Bible. I don't pursue you. I don't listen to you. But God, it is on this day, I feel you inviting me into your family. God, I repent of my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I want Jesus to come into my life right now and save me from the inside out. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, and I want to live for you from this day through all of eternity. Please save me today. I thank you for hearing my prayer, and he'll save you today. And for the rest of us, it's time we wake up and celebrate and worship a God who gave you the miracle of salvation, something you could never do yourself. He did everything for you. We should be excited about that. So excited that we go out and tell the world. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the book of Acts. I thank you for the miracles of life, but I thank you for salvation. For me and those who have experienced it, God, I thank you for eternity waiting to call our name so that we could enter into it. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, this would be their day of miracle salvation where they would be adopted into your family and radically changed for all of eternity. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.